Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV and medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 11, which is titled Night Shift. The episode aired on January 16th, 1997. We are approaching the space-time continuum of <laughs> ER in real time. Uh, Lauren was going that way 23 years ago. Whoa. Um... Chicago Bulls player Dennis Rodman is suspended 11 games for kicking a cameraman in the groin during a game. All right. Um, (laughs) ER wins the award for favorite TV drama at the 23rd annual People's Choice Awards. The Relic is the number one movie at the box office. New Year, same number one song as Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton conquers the music charts once again. And for what else was on TV that night on NBC, at 8 p.m. we had Friends checking in with the episode The One with All the Jealousy. At 8.30, we had The Single Guy checking in with Like Father. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld had The Money. And then at 9.30, we had a new uh, entry into the lineup here, uh, The Naked Truth, with the episode titled We're at NBC Now, uh, because this show uh, originally premiered on ABC in 1995, but was moved to NBC starting with its second season, which premiered here. Uh, It was a show starring Taya Leone and Holland Taylor. Uh, It was a sitcom about a tabloid newspaper. like I said, started on ABC in 95, moved over to NBC for its second season where it would be canceled after a season and a half. It was pretty low rated, unfortunately, but ER can't uh, save everything. That's right. Uh, so moving into the viewers for this week's episode, we've got uh, up from our 30 million in last week's episode. We're back up to 35.9 million for this week's episode. This is directed by Jonathan Kaplan doing his first of 40 episodes through 2009. So he, this is going to be another long-term director here. Um, and he also served as producer on the show between 1997 and 2006. Uh, this episode is written by Paul Manning, doing his 13th out of 15 episodes. So we're almost through the Paul Manning episodes. Uh, previous ones from this season that we have talked about of his included No Brain, No Gain from just a couple of ones ago. And then Don't Ask, Don't Tell. All right. And uh, Eric LaSalle kindly fills us in on what's been going on on the show before. And uh, we open this episode with... Oh, God, it begins. Got it. Uh, it's it's fine. Chuni and Mark are walking from the L to the hospital, and it's snowing like nobody's business, and they say it's 20 below, which, yikes. We're, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to get there. Good news <laughs> is you won't have to go outside. That's true. I'm encouraged to stay inside this winter. Uh, and Chuni complains about all the, all, about all the bumsicles, so all the dead homeless people that, <laughs> come in uh, and what they smell like when they thaw is it dead homeless people or is it just like like frostbitten and cold homeless people i would imagine when they thaw fair yeah kind of implies death fair okay speaking of death it's dead in the er and there's a dead guy just out in the open in the hallway and we find out Randy had left him in the hall by the door just to keep him cold because the morgue is backed up. Um, she's got little blonde highlights now. Looks real cute. There's not a single patient on the board. And we find out Mark is working on his CV because he's apparently potentially seeking tenure. <laughs> and then he charmingly uh, you know, says he's talking to uh, Chuni about it. And he says that uh, he's in competition with Carrie Weaver. Uh and then the, we immediately cut to Carrie walking down the hall to this like military march music. Uh, 
where she's we find out she's doing a study on exercise affecting the circadian rhythm of night shift workers and she we see her first trying to get lydia involved as a subject and uh lydia mentions is is this why e-ray is doing jumping jacks in the suture room uh which we never unfortunately tragically never actually get to see like i would love to i would love to have seen cutaways of e-ray doing (laughs) just constantly doing jumping jacks in the suture um but we also find out that carrie has two days to publish her findings and she needs just one more subject so this is going to be carrie's kind of main storyline for the episode this is one of my favorite through lines of an episode ever like you want to talk about their um levity done right yes 100 100 and using some people that don't usually get to do the levity stuff like it's mainly carrie and Jeannie holding the holding the water of the levity stuff here and that's i love that it's so fucking good some really solid work from wendy too yes mm-hmm. yeah do we do we know about how long it is until we say goodbye to her i keep i keep forgetting is it season uh, four have, early season no, no. four right no oh no no, no. it's it's, it's coming up very soon i think I, I think we have about eight more episodes I, I believe ah. it's I believe it's uh, nineteen is her last one. Gotcha. Well, speaking so. of people leaving, uh, unfortunately, this is Doctor Keaton's last episode. She's packing up her office and practicing her Hindi as she goes to where is she going? Pakistan. Pakistan. Yes. Pakistan. Okay. Figuring out yeah, she's figuring out the the language of the land, and she left her packing to last minute. You know, it's the Lauren and Lizzie special. Um, she only leaves in 12 hours and she's very flustered and Gant is looking for Carter and there's a nice gateway computer 2000 box next to where he, next to where Carter's hiding. So they're still doing the hush hush thing. It shows up a couple times in this episode too, which almost made me wonder if there was some prod- product placement going on. That They've was shown de- up once or twice in the background in other episodes mm. too, so there I, there might have been something there. Yeah. There was definitely that was definitely the kind of computer that we had at this time. Oh yeah, Me was too, a gateway. Sure. The trademark cow boxes. Yeah, we like had a... in my hometown. We had a gateway plant. And oh yeah. So it, what was funny was that like it was in this really like out of the way part of town, and so for like it, it probably shut down. You know, I don't know, two thousand and five ish or something like that. Whenever gateway went out of business, and. So it got changed into some other kind of warehouse. I don't know what is in there now, but if you still drive down the street where it was, the sign for it is still very obviously oh. written in Gateway font. Like it doesn't say Gateway. There's no there's no reference to Gateway at all, but it's obviously still written in Gateway font, and it's hilarious to me every time I would pass by it. That's awesome. Carol finds out from Mary, the nurse admin, that the ER is way over budget and that she has to fire two nurses by the next morning. And this is a very 1990s statement of leave it on my email. <laughs> not send me an email, not leave me a memo, but leave it on my email. So Look, just they're still working it out. Okay. Embracing yes. new technologies. They're on the forefront. It's great. Um, and then we come in with the bangs. We are 11 for zero for bangs this season. Um, we see Randy is drawing fashion sketches on the board. They're all talking about how they'd like to die. And listeners, I want you to keep a tally. How many times we mentioned death this episode? Because they they lay it on real thick this episode before that last scene. Um, the nurses were nice enough to buy Carol some takeout, her favorite order. And this whole episode is just Carol feeling super guilty about what she has to do by the next morning. So... They say, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. No need to pay us back. Um, and then Doug bursts in and touches Carol's neck and does the, my hand's cold? 
thing because he just came in from outside and Carol shrieks like a little girl and it's great. And then um, Carol mentions that Charlie stole her mom's silverware. So Charlie's gone, was staying with Carol, seems to have flown the coop. Yeah. This is really the episode where they start to rekindle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where they rekindle Doug and and Carol. And I'm here for it. Because, I mean, they kind of beat you over the head with it in later scenes. And we have the audio from some of them because it's very cute. But Yeah, I don't care. This is how how Mark and Susan should have gone. I am here for Carol and Doug (laughs) any day of the week. Well, hopefully Susan would ha- wouldn't have a suicide attempt. Because... Okay, but the rest of it, no one. The, the slow attempt. burn is what she's getting at. Like they, you don't yeah. you don't have yeah, yeah, to crank yeah, it up yeah. to eleven every time. And then suddenly twins. Um, but for now, <laughs> we have uh, Carter up in the surgical floor complaining that's dead, and uh, well, Gant comes along, and well, we have some audio of Carter being his very best self. Boy, it is dead. Finished all my charts. It's not even nine o'clock yet. Want some action? What do you got in mind? Edson's sick. If you're willing to sprint at a moment's notice, you can take his place on the code team. Absolutely. Hey, John. He boned me, man. Ben wouldn't let you off, huh? Two days is all I asked for. Son of a bitch. You know, Dennis, if Monique is already with this other guy, then there's probably nothing you can do about it. Even if you did fly down there. Well, I'd sure as hell like the chance to try. Hey, you want to go to that place down the street and get some of the home fries with gravy? No, I wish I could. I got all these charts to do. Okay, I hear you. Well, look, if Benton asks, I'll be back in an hour. Yeah. Thought you finished the charts. I have been listening to him moan about that girlfriend for two weeks. Tonight is slow enough. Lee. Come on, man. Just come on. Carter, we know you're all, we all know you're better than this. Not in this episode. Yeah, not this episode. <laughs> it's it's Carter's turn in the hot seat this week. We've had some goddamn god fucking damn it Mark episodes, and now we have the the ultimate god fucking damn it Carter episode. Ah oh, boy. Although, <laughs> as we will note in our uh, upcoming scene, Mark's not completely out of the woods yet either. He's no, no, still no, no, no. being a little bit of a shit. That's uh, that's true. But I want to know that's allusion too to something being dead. It's true. Yeah, if you keep score at home because there's going to be a lot of them. You're going to lose count at some point. So we go to our next patient, or our first patient, rather, of the episode, a a patient coming in with a fever, uh, disoriented, and no ID. We do find out, though, that her name is Shelly. She's photophobic, uh, showing symptoms of meningitis, and it seems deathly afraid of needles, uh, so she doesn't want to let them do a spinal tap or give her antibiotics. Uh, So this this is a very upsetting patient, just Mm -hmm. over the course of the whole episode. Mm -hmm. Mark's... Mark's uh, attitude here really, really sucks. But um, as Lauren mentioned, we just get more and more allusions to death. Uh, we do a, we do get a very timely twenty twenty timely uh, Alex Trebek joke. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we find out here that Mark is going to need a consent override through legal in order to administer the spinal tap if she doesn't want to do it. He's going to have to get psych to come down and declare her uh, mentally incompetent in order to. Uh, to get that uh, authorization. So we will check back in with that a little bit later. Uh, but from there, we see Carol and Doug starting their uh, safety inspection, <laughs> uh, beginning with the trauma room, uh, which this is keep, keep in mind where they're at. Cause it's going to come up again very soon. This is one of my favorites. 
Yeah, and uh, Carrie is trying to get Jeannie to participate in her little study, and they burst into the trauma room, and they hit they hit the ladder Carol was on. Now, the way they shot this, it made it seem like that they were going to knock Carol off the ladder, but they don't. It just sort of, like, jostles the ladder, and Carol, who's, like, looking at the... Um, the clock that's right, you know, right above the entryway comes down and bops Carrie on the head and then falls down and breaks. Yeah. They do a lot of uh, interesting cinematography things in this episode. And some of which I think are, like you said, that they're, they're set up to make you feel one way when they actually go the other way. But then in other cases, there's like, I can't tell if this was an intentional choice or if this was uh, something that was, just done kind of sloppily which we'll get to later in the episode but it's a this is an interestingly done episode from a cinematography standpoint Mm -hmm. but yeah what happens when carrie is bumped on the head oh yeah uh she's bleeding and she's gonna need some stitches and ask genie to do them so genie doing all the stitch work for all of the good employees of the er everybody needs to stop hitting their head and bleeding yeah that's that's usually a good idea um, but then we get the paramedics are pulling up and they bring in an, an older gentleman with chest, belly pain, and normal vitals. And Carter insists that it's a surgical abdomen and that they need to do a true like walkthrough so he can take him up to surgery. Doyle says that she has not made that assessment yet and neither of them want to call in an attending. And they're arguing over what films he needs first, I think, between chest or head or chest or abdomen. And... While that's going on, I want to note, whose films are those? The ER has been empty for hours. They've said all episodes how dead it's been. They haven't had to take in films on this gentleman. Whose films are those? They yeah. had time to take those films down. This is probably the most egregious example of whose films are those yet. Are we all on board with whose films are those for this episode? Yeah. Do I get oh, one? Yeah. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm always on board with it. Like, there's... There's some episodes where it's less egregious than others, like this like one. Lizzie said, where you could you could explain it if you wanted to, but here it's so clearly just part of set dressing. I need to talk to somebody who did the films for these and be like, guys, did they change them out ever? Why haven't I ever asked this to anybody who was on set? Damn they just it. told the set designers do some medical. Put some medical. <laughs> Go see a Star Wars. Ele- wasn't that a, wasn't that a Trump thing? Elements of medical. Yes. That's that's. Uh, oh, I can't wait till I don't have to think about him anymore. Hopefully four more months instead of four more years. Four more months. I can't do math. Two more months. Yeah. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. So a guy, well, you know, you might, you might get to watch him taken to jail. So then the guy sits bolt upright as they're arguing about what films to take. And he says he's fine, but just has a stuffy nose. And all of a sudden they look and they recognize him. And I don't remember if it's the paramedic or who says this, but I believe it's Malik. It might be Malik, but he goes, uh, when he wants a ride to the hospital, he calls 911 and plays possum. And he really just wanted a flu shot. Great old man. I love I love him. Mm. Get this, your flu shots, folk. Yep, folks. already did. That's right. Yeah. So then we go from there to uh, Benton complaining to Anspa about wanting to do another Peds rotation because Peter can never be told that he can't do something. So he uh, manages to convince... Uh, Anspa that uh, he can observe Dr. Kenner, another pediatrician or pediatric surgeon rather uh, that we've never seen before and try to talk to him uh, or try to talk him into letting him uh, do another peds rotation. So this is going to be Benton's kind of main through line to the episode here. Benton just kind of not taking no for an answer and wanting to do peds uh, all over again. And uh, we go back to Mark and the uh, slightly loopy patient that he has. Um, what was her name? Shelly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark and Shelly. Um, Sounds like a sitcom name. Sure. Definitely know. not here. 
Uh, yeah, because, you know, Mark, consent be damned, he's going to do the Smile Tap anyway. Um, and legal, they, so, thankfully someone from Legal is down there talking to her, saying he doesn't think she's mentally unstable. And, you know, Mark's like, oh, are you a doctor? Huh? 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 Are you? Um, that's are my you? best. My, that's, yeah, that's my best asshole Mark voice. Um, <laughs> and the legal, the legal person advises uh, to get that they get a psych consult to get her declared mentally incompetent to make her own decisions. Otherwise, they advise her not to proceed. Otherwise, they advise they are advised not to proceed at risk of losing their jobs. Yikes! Yeah. Several so several things to note here. Now that we've seen everybody on screen and we've established who all is actually physically in the building, um, there's several things that I want to point out here. Number one, um, I found as I was doing research for this episode, I found an old Google discussion group from 1997 where they were talking about this episode and presumably others. It seemed like it was a kind of a semi regular thing at the time, um, which is fascinating to read. And I might link some of it in the uh, Facebook group, but I one of the things I was struck by was somebody pointed out um, how unrealistic it was that every single member of the main cast would be working a night shift at the same time, (laughs) which is really true. Like when you think about it, they're all on shift at the exact same time. So that means all of the doctor expositions are all working the day shift apparently. So can we get that episode? Cause I want to see some of those people that we've heard, but never seen. Just want to see like the discount George Clooney. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see all the stand-ins, you know, but so that was that'd be one thing. It's like just kind of makes you scrunch your nose up a little. But uh, and then the other thing is, it's interesting that they choose this little subplot here with Mark and by extension, some of the nurses to layer on top of Carol's storyline with Carol needing to get rid of uh, two nurses, uh, which we know gets tied up in a, a nice little bow by the end of the episode. But if they actually go through with this procedure that they're talking about that makes Carol's job really fucking easy. <laughs> like Carol doesn't need to really do a whole lot of hemming and hawing. If there's nurses or nurses out there just doing procedures willy nilly without consent, like that makes, makes her job really easy. So I just thought it was interesting that they would layer those two storylines on top of each other in the same episode. Cause it kind of creates a little logic gap, but I don't know. Or they're setting us up to think that it's going to make Carol's job really true. easy in this way. Yeah. True. Oh, but yeah, then we get Jeannie is stitching Carrie up. So Carrie's trying to convince her to be part of the study and says, oh, you'll just need to do 15 minutes of activity every couple of hours for the study. And Carrie really tries to guilt her by pulling the I've always supported you card. And it's like, okay, sounds like Jeannie's on board. Um, And I just want to note, we get a lot of like quick little cutovers to Malik, Chuni, and Lydia. And it's just such good nurse banter this episode. Like, they're talking about, like, how they want to die. They're talking about, um, later in the episode, they get some money-making schemes. I don't remember what this one was. Oh, what bone you would want to break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, and it's just, it's so great. And I love Lydia's cute little short hair here. Everybody's just real cute and real great this episode. Yeah, I, she, she's a married woman now. And she's still adorable. I know. You can still be married and be everyone's favorite thirst trap. I aspire to. Um, But yeah, they just, I love the episodes kind of like this and like Blizzard where it just kind of changes the pace of the ER. Mm -hmm. Subverts our expectations. Yeah, which I imagine, that was another thing I was reading in one of those threads was that apparently the like promos for this episode were very like 
um, not very special episode-y. Like, it wasn't made out to be, like, you know, we're gonna we're all going to learn a lesson or something. But, like, it was, it was sort of made out to be a very dramatic episode. So I imagine that had to be kind of a, a little bit of a kind of Love's Labor Lost almost situation as you're watching this episode where you're like, fuck, this is supposed to be, like, the big dramatic episode and nothing's happening. What the fuck is going to happen? Like, I feel like it, oh, it must yeah. have created this, this sense of, like, tension if you were watching it having seen those promos where you were you had to have gone into it thinking like oh shit something really incredible is going to happen this episode and you're now we're watching you know them dick around on night shift like nothing's happening i'm wondering if there were any taglines in this episode like that hinted at what the big thing was gonna be i from what i could glean from that thread it was it was hinted at that uh it what happens was gonna happen okay but not it was not expressly like spelled out like it was like you know very dramatic basically it was like somebody's gonna die like it wasn't it wasn't a gant's gonna die for sure but it was like somebody's gonna die the er loses one of its own yeah that kind of thing well our other little dramatic storyline comes Mm. into play here so uh, our next audio for you is charlie coming to see doug and carol uh, we got a wheelchair with no brakes and three IV stands. I think they're wobbly. What are we supposed to do with them? Hey! Take them down. Ugly. Well, if it isn't my favorite thief. Hey, you got your wall back. What about my mother's silverware? I didn't take it, I swear. Yeah. All right, Charlie, do I have to call security? You're going to leave by yourself. No, listen, man. I need some bread. No, serious. There's this dude trying to pimp me, and I don't want to. He says I got to pay him 100 bucks, or he's going to kill me. Well, maybe we should tell the cops. No, ma'am, I don't deal with cops. And I don't deal with liars who take advantage of people who try to help them. You're a creep, you know that? Yep. A creep and a pervert! That's right! This doctor made me go to He gave me baby, he got me pregnant, and now he wants me to pay for the abortion! Child molester! Lovely girl. Um... I'm just, <laughs> um <laughs> I had some real deep thoughts about this when we watched the episode the other day and I'm having trouble articulating them into words now. So just um yeah, it's uh I like I feel like I can feel my my feelings about the Char- Charlie storyline warping in real time if that makes I, sense. I <laughs> like, I, j- I I just nobody bats an eye. As she's screaming this. No, yeah, that yeah, that is very striking. That like nobody, nobody says, even looks huh. up. No, like a couple guys look at her like, oh, that's weird. She's yelling, but like nobody thinks to get security. Nobody thinks to even potentially check if these allegations may be true. Yeah. They're just like, oh, look at this little rap scallion street urchin screaming and causing a scene. Like, go sweep a chimney. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Like okay. when when I was a when I was a kid, I remember always being told like, oh, you know, if you're ever kidnapped or if something ever happens, yell and make a scene, and it's like, okay, clearly that doesn't fucking work in a hospital full yeah, I, of caretakers and apparently and apparently lawyers and apparently so. lawyers. So Aye. just oh, poor Charlie, like shit's fucked. Yeah, it's it's not a good story. It's 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 such a. A mess of a story all the way around like 
like I said, I can I can feel my feelings about this storyline shifting as we go through these episodes, but we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we go from there to Benton talking with uh, he finally runs into Doctor Kenner who's coming out of a surgery, and uh, Doctor Kenner basically blows him off like he's just like yeah, it's not a good time right now, and uh, Benton lets him know that he's going to be in the peds sick you all night long, so you know come come and talk to me whenever you know very desperate Benton this episode, and uh, he passes the uh, sick you scut work off onto Gant, which uh, of course makes Gant none too happy but uh and includes some important labs yes yeah it wants him to do some some labs on dr kenner's most recent patient which um as lauren kind of alluded to will come back come back around here very soon so talk about upsetting benton and gant this episode add it oh to the boy. pile well and one of the other levity storylines uh connie and chuni are sitting in the lounge reading personals and mark's just over there just chilling out um and they're the the person that they're describing sounds just like mark and he can and but he calls personal ads desperate so uh, and they're totally setting up for chuni and mark to hook up how do you feel about this pairing i oh. think it's a fine rebound I've always thought it was strange, like, and I, I, I'm. It's especially strange now that I know it happens in this episode. Like now that yeah. I, now that I know it happens in this episode, I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do that now. <laughs> like, I mean, it keeps going beyond this, but right. But I mean, just the fact that its origins are rooted in this of all episodes, it had to be this one. I'm just really glad because I remember because the way I remembered it. It was, the way I remembered it was that Mark, it was when he was going through his facial hair phase. Yeah, too. I did too. Yeah, I really so, thought it was, I thought it was later. So maybe he brings that back again I, for some unfortunate reason or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I associate the... Goatee with poor life choices? The, well, the, go, <laughs> the goatee, not necessarily with poor life choices. I mean, hey, Chuni's a beautiful woman. Mark should be so lucky. Um, oh yeah, it's definitely, he's the he's the one that looks out of place in that pairing not her yeah <laughs> like, um no because but like that's when because when marx had the had the goatee is when he was really starting to get into the he starting to get into the bike and they bond over the bike so i'm excited to see where this goes um psych is finally down there to visit their non-compliant woman shelly and it's an intern it's not the resident it's the intern which mark is none too happy about and um doug and carol are continuing their inspection and they're walking down probably like you know how some hospitals have like the utility corridors that aren't necessarily patient hallways but Mm -hmm. more utility and they find a room where they used to hook up in all the time and they walk in and they're like did it always smell this bad (laughs) but before they hop in um doug's like should we and carol thinks he's hitting on her like trying to get her to hook up in there again and he just wants to check the room out and then he goes in and finds some of their old candles still down there and stuff. And it's just, it's really cute, them reminiscing on things. We get a fair amount this episode of extended hospital uh, geography. like For sure. It's, it's really neat. We, we get to dig in a little, some of the stuff outside of just the usual ER uh, stuff. Yep. Oh. Uh, so we go from there back to Shelly's psych eval, where we see she <laughs> helpfully spells out, screw you backwards. <laughs> She's, amazing yeah she the the lady who's playing her is really good i i uh checked her out she didn't really do a ton of stuff outside of um 
outside of this, but uh, really, really good in this in this episode. Uh, but she's oriented to person, time, and place, so she does not meet the criteria for incompetence. So Psych will not sign off on her uh, consent. Uh, and as Mark is pleading his case, as the resident is leaving, uh, he replies. Ba- the resident replies back, "Patients have a right to make bad decisions." And Mark's like, "About that, though." <laughs> But do they? I'd, but I'll say about that. I'd rather assault a patient. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. So uh, we go back up quickly to the peds sick you where Benton's working on charts, and one of Dr. Ketter's patients has a heart problem. And you know, while Benton's working working the kid up, uh, the labs they told Gant to order are not on the chart. Oh dear, this can only go well. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then Carrie is actually getting Jeannie started on her test. And it's the most ridiculous visual. Like, I, this should be the goddamn clip of the episode because it's Jeannie on, like, a physical therapy stationary bike where you're moving the, the, um, the handles and the legs. Mm-hmm. So kind of like an elliptical bike almost. Aerodyne bicycle is yeah, what they call it. Those, those ones with the giant fans that they, that they used to sell. Yep. I don't know if maybe they still do. I don't know. Yeah, they, uh, I, I assume they still do. We had them in my old gym back home, so. But, yeah, so... She's doing this and, like, sweating and clumsy and awkward. And Carrie's like, wait, hold on. Put these sunglasses on because the fluorescence will make your brain think it's day and we can't have that. So she has these huge oversized sunglasses on and she's sweaty and gross. And Carrie's like, uh, Wendy, up the, the RPMs. And Wendy turns it up, like, four times faster. And Jeannie's just like, oh, God. Anyway, uh, maybe I'm just trying to deflect because I don't want to hear <laughs> You don't want to talk about this. Nope. Uh, so, Gant, about those labs. You know, I met the guy once last summer. Some type of mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. I just don't know when she started seeing him. Gant, what are you doing out here when there's a kid up in the sick you dying of hypercalcemia? Kenner's patient, you were supposed to monitor his calcium. I sent the labs in. What good is sending the labs in if you don't check them? You said they were going to take an hour. Gant, look at this. 13.5, the kid went into a Brady arrhythmia. I was about to go get them. You know, Gant, that's the kind of excuse that kills patients. Now, look, if you can't do the job or you don't want to do the job, then you don't need to be here. You make another stupid, lazy mistake like that, man, you won't be. Hey. Hey, you okay? Uh, Oh, it's a code. I'm on the code team. Listen, we'll talk, all right? We'll talk when I get back. Oh, oh, emotions. I don't want to deal with them. We'll talk later, okay? So good at just blowing Gant off in this whole season. Like, he went from being a really good buddy with Gant when they first showed up together to just increasingly more and more distracted and, like, separate from him. Yeah. yeah and it all revolved around revolved around Dr. Keaton. Yeah, it really was. That was the break point. Like as soon, like it was really that that episode a few episodes ago where they have their little moment in the cafeteria and Gant is like, "Is there something going on there?" Literally, that's the moment. Like right. everything after that is all downhill. <laughs> like, they, yeah. Their relationship is never the same after that. Yeah, culminating in this episode. <sighs> Do you want to give us something happier, kind of? Yeah. So uh, we have another sort of back-to-back audio clips for you. Um, Carol and Doug are talking about, are reminiscing about the before times while they're 
putting some broken equipment away. It's weird being down here again. Makes me realize how unhappy I was then. When you were with me? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault, you know? I just didn't think much of myself. I'm sure I didn't help. Well, a lot of stuff didn't help. But it's just different now, you know? I actually feel good. So what's different besides us not being together? Well, you know, I used to think I couldn't do things. Now I'm taking a pre-med course. Well, I trust you did well on your midterms. B plus. Well, clearly you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. I guess it's about feeling in control, you know? I guess. And then, of course, there's things you can't control. Such as? Administration's making me fire two nurses. Really? Yeah, but don't tell anyone. None of them know, and I don't know who it's gonna be. I'm not gonna say a thing. You know what's really depressing? What? Being here right now makes me realize how much happier I was back then. <laughs> <laughs> God. You're pathetic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, uh, first, I want to note, this is the third time the Hulu subtitles have marked Carol speaking as Susan. Weird. I did not catch that. Yeah. Yep. But, aww. I love them so much. And I love, I love how Doug's like, I'm sure I didn't help. I mean, he didn't. He's not wrong. <laughs> and then from there, we get Carter and Doyle uh, running... Down the down a very uh, different looking hallway, like like we said a little bit earlier, you're getting more of the kind of outside of the ER layout of the hospital in this episode. Uh, we see them walking, uh, running down the hallway, uh, looking for the code they were getting called into, uh, and they can't find the patient's room. Uh, so we get this like weird longer shot of them running through the rest of the hospital, and then they they find a they run into a janitor who is looking for a toilet that's overflowing. Which as they make their way through the maze, they find the toilet, still haven't found the patient's room. And then eventually they find the patient's room and also the janitor who is in there doing like full CPR on the patient and then uh, manages to get his heart rhythm back by smacking him one good time in the chest uh, with his fist. So not, don't really get much follow up with this janitor is a kind of a fun little side character that we don't ever really see again. But I just thought it's a cute little moment. Here's my other question. Do we ever get in the future other episodes where there are characters like carter and doyle are here who are like on code call or whatever or is this the only time we see this happen? i mean i'm sure we do of some kind i don't know if it's exactly these circumstances again um but yeah I, I, i'm sure at some point they do like some outside of the normal duties kind of things with it even within the hot because I, I know they do plenty of it outside of the hospital but uh mm-hmm. i think i think you see some stuff inside the hospital as well because I know, like, Abby, we see her nursing duties and stuff upstairs, but... Mm-hmm. And I know, like, there's I know there's an episode with Neela where she ends mm-hmm. up in that, like, hyperbaric chamber thing. It's almost like a bottle yeah. episode, like... Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, so... There, Hate that. There are other things. Don't like that. There are other things like that. Uh, but let's go back to the cuteness stuff right now, and uh, Doug and Carol are talking about why he hates going to therapy. Hey, you know why I hate going to a shrink? Why? Because you have to talk about yourself all the time. It's kind of the point, Doug. Oh, it's embarrassing. I tell her about my patients. She lets you do that? Sometimes. She says I prefer talking about them because solving their problems is easier than solving my own. It's probably true. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, no. Ugh. You thinking about Charlie? Yeah, I was... I was tough on her today. Well, 
No, you gave her a chance. Several. I mean, at a certain point, you just gotta say, no, it's over. <laughs> Why do those words sound familiar to me? <laughs> See what happens when you give proper time to storyline development. It's so good. You get Clooney laugh. That's what you get. Everyone needs more Clooney laugh in their life. Just the Clooney chuckle. Either way. Queen pedantic. God. What happens next, Lauren? <laughs> um, then we have Connie and Chuni are writing a personal ad for Mark. And they they read it to him. And he goes, no, no, don't mention the bike. I don't want to attract motorcycle chicks. Chuni's like, oh, what, you wouldn't want to attract me? No, I didn't mean it like that. Like they're just they're just rubbing it in our faces, making it real obvious what they're going for here. The fun times with Shelly continue as uh, she's left her room and her clothes are gone too. And Mark finds her outside at the bus stop, you know, still in the same you know mental status, but it's like I want to go home. So Mark, uh, fireman carries her. Yeah, just grabs her and throws her over his shoulder. And, Narr- and her, narrowly and... misses whacking her head on the bus stop sign. Like, I want to point yeah. out he misses it by, like, roughly an inch. Almost hmm. completely just clocks her in the head with the bus stop sign. It's, you know, cherry on top for this scene. Yeah, and Lauren put in the notes, yikes, question mark. And I'm going to I'm gonna change that. I want to change that to a period. Yikes. <laughs> That's a big yike. I award this scene one yike. <laughs> Um, but then after the commercial, they come back and they're doing the lumbar puncture. It's so brutal. It's, yeah, you know, a non-consensual lumbar puncture, mm. which I'm sure under the best of circumstances is uncomfortable. I've never had one, don't ever want one, but. I've had doctors root around near my spine for fluoroscopy and for a steroid shot. Same uh, with the steroid shot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, mine was actually by my lumbar, though. Oh yeah, that's true. But mine, mine still was. Mine was still in the in the area. But still, ah, God, I understand. I understand. You're trying to save her life. And it's a public health thing too, because meningitis is yeah contagious. It's, so yeah, it's highly contagious. But then, why don't you use it under that? Yeah. Like, there's so many other ways you could have gone about this, mm-hmm. but literally carrying her back into the ER and forcing her to have an extremely uncomfortable and painful test against her will, uh, and then legal comes down and sees that they're doing this and asks for everyone's names, so. Which... There we go. Show's over. By, uh, they're closing down the ER because the lawsuit's <laughs> too much for the county... <laughs> yeah this would this would be a hell of a a lawsuit i'm sure but like what what i really dislike about this more so than anything is the ending of the scene where it's played as a or it's portrayed as a heroic moment because legal comes down and there and sees all this happening and is rightfully like what the fuck gang (laughs) we talked about this uh and is like all right well i'm gonna need the names of everyone here and before he can even finish saying the sentence Malik and Lydia and all like they all like just blurt their names out like and kind of like scowl at him over their shoulder like they're all like yeah we'll give you our names because we know we're doing the right thing asshole it's like the breakfast club yeah like it's presented as this very like oorah like you know heroic moment and it's really not like it's you know 
best case scenario, absolute best case scenario here. This is an unfortunate thing that had to be done in the interest of public health. This is not you taking a grand stand and doing the right thing and standing up for what was right. Screw the man. Screw your policy. Yeah, and that's kind of how it's presented, and it's not that at all. And it's just, mm, uh, this is probably one of my least favorite moments of the episode, for sure. Uh, then we have we find out um, Carol fell asleep while they were having their heart-to-heart, and Charlie comes back bloody as hell as... um. Doug and Carol are kind of just getting off the elevator and they see her down the hall and they're like, oh shit, Charlie. So they, they go to get her taken care of and um, Carter walks over and tells Gant that Benton was out of line. But then right as he's trying to have this little heart to heart, he's excited because it's 3 a.m., which means his alarm went off and he gets to go snuggle with Abby because she told him to come back at 3. So he bails on Gant. Uh, and then... Quick little scene of uh, Carrie and Wendy driving in a golf cart <laughs> alongside Jean. Where do you get a golf cart at this part of the, in, in this part of the city at this time of night? Where do you have a golf cart? Localized entirely within I mean, County General Hospital. <laughs> yes. I mean some some hospitals have them for like um, equipment moving stuff. Yeah, but County General. I don't know. Uh, but Carrie's using a megaphone to yell at her. I love this C plot. Oh boy, tonal shifts abound here as we go straight back to Charlie looking rough with a capital R. Uh, this like, and this is the first like real close up. I mean, we got to see her in the hallway a few minutes ago, but like this is the first like close up view we're getting of her. And uh, were it not for the ending of this episode, I think in any other episode this would stand out as one of the more disturbing visuals uh, in the show. Like. When we say she looks rough, she is beat to all shit. Like, she is not in a good way here. Uh, they're in the trauma room. Doug is evaluating her with uh, Carol and Lydia helping out. The So far, we know she's got a broken right arm, suspected broken jaw, and Carol points out to Doug that she has bruising around her groin, so she may have been raped. Uh, mm. So, yeah, this is... Like I said, in any other episode, this would be the standout upsetting thing. Uh it's really, really harsh visuals here. For sure. Uh, and then Shuni, Malik, and Kanye are wheeling around, talking about Malik's million-dollar ideas. Stethoscope, condoms. <sighs> really, it's never until we actually sit down and talk about these things in order that I really realize how harsh some of these tonal shifts are. <laughs> because yeah. as I'm watching them, I'm like, I, I remember as I was watching this, really liking this this moment with uh, Chuni Malik and uh, Connie like I thought that was a really fun little moment for them they're wheeling around in the wheelchairs just kind of shooting the shit and everything and it's really uh, takes some of the fun out of it when you know that like down the hall in the other room there's a 14 year old girl that's been raped like it really uh, really sucks a lot of the joy out of the room mm-hmm. yeah um, and I love how they're like no stick to your day job um, but then we have Benton is with Kenner's patient that he helped stabilize earlier and kenner says good work uh daniel who plays kenner you know this is the first time we're actually getting a good look at kenner's face we just saw him very briefly earlier in the episode uh but he's played by an actor named john rubenstein who uh definitely there there's 
not very many oh hey it's that guys in this episode and uh he's probably the closest one we have to one is a whopping 218 credits to his name uh including the chilling adventures of sabrina uh which i am currently rewatching. there you go so please enjoy him there uh the boys from brazil and tv series uh crazy like a fox and family both from the like late 70s to mid 80s he was uh in those shows um and seems like he was sort of a prominent character those so if you're a little bit older than us and you were watching TV in late 70s into the mid 80s, you might recognize him from one of those shows. Oh, and I just did a Google for who he was in Sabrina because I knew he looked familiar. But um, for any of you who've watched Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, he plays the lawyer Daniel Webster. There you go. So, um, but Benton asks if he can do another Peds rotation with Kenner. And Kenner says, I understood that Dr. Keaton isn't recommending you. It is a pretty small club. We do all talk occasionally. Um, Benton essentially tries begging him and Kenner, not Keller, Kenner, tells him to go get a recommendation from Abby before he can give a, before he can let him on the rotation. And I put down in the notes, in all caps, Benton's going to walk in on Carter and Abby. That's how they have this set up. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And then we go from there back down to uh, Charlie's trauma where uh, Doug is taking Charlie now to get a CAT scan done. And as they're getting ready to load her up into the elevator, uh, Carol pulls Doug aside and asks if she should get a rape kit. And Doug uh, says he's going to hold off for now. He says he's going to try to talk to her and find out what happened. So we got that to look forward to. And uh, our next scene is Carter very sweetly cuddled up with Dr. Keaton reading tours, guys. It would be sweet if Carter wasn't such a piece of fucking shit. This Context, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he asks her not to go when Benton bursts in and sees them snuggling and Carter does the thing where he hide, tries to hide behind a book. <laughs> that was really that, fucking that funny. Was, yeah, that was good. Yeah, and Dr. Keaton asks, Peter, could you wait outside, please? Good thing they weren't naked. The look on Benton's uh, I- face, like, Again, the the nonverbal acting from Eric LaSalle is you can see his, you can see him trying to process what he's seeing. Such betrayal. It's so good. Just everything suddenly makes sense. Yeah, and then um, Chuni walks in where Mark is doing the ink stain for the meningitis test on the um, spinal fluid that they collected. And she tells Mark that she admires him. And I don't I didn't put this down because I'm dumb. He says to her or she says to him, I'd be lucky to find someone it's, like you. Uh, Mark to to Chuni uh, says that. OK. And then so, yeah, Mark says to Chuni, you know, oh, I'd be lucky to find someone like you. I didn't mean to offend you with the whole biker girl comment or whatever. And it begins, as we have mentioned, and the test comes back positive. It is cryptococcal meningitis. So it was all so, worth it. Great. Yeah. So glad we did that against her will. Uh, so we go back to the desk where uh, Carol is looking around for her nursing budget binder. And she asks Randy if she's seen it. And Randy's like, yeah, it, it fell out of the, the cabinet there. So I took a look at it. And she's like, what the fuck? Why? Like, why? She's like, I was curious. I took an accounting course for my fashion line. A little bit of continuity there. Nice. I like it. Um, but she just kind of like very casually mentions, like barely looks up from her magazine is like, you're the overtime is what's killing you. Put everyone on eight hour shifts. You'll save a hundred grand a year, which 
I was like, I feel like as somebody who has had to deal with staffing and budgets and managing payroll and things like that, I feel like the overtime thing is something that would have been addressed as a Band-Aid months ago. <laughs> like, they would not have they would yeah. not have waited until the, the night before they were going to let two uh, union employees go uh, to just like to for somebody to have this like bright idea out of the out of the moonlight like uh maybe we should cut the overtime no they probably would have done that like six months ago but anyway it works for the story and uh benton is trying one last time to get a recommendation from dr keaton and dr keaton gets you know it gets the distinct impression that benton's trying to blackmail her into a recommendation but you know, Which is bullshit. Well, Peter, to his credit, says, you know, if your recommendation isn't based on my abilities as a doctor, I don't want it. Yeah, but you you can understand so. why she might feel that way. Like, oh no, I've, no, I just... totally understand that. But I'm just saying, Benton Benton takes the high road here, as you know, not trying to advance his career with someone he's likely never going to see again. And and neither will we, because this is her last scene. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Rest in peace. Excellent. Yeah, that is oh, true. Yeah, that's right. She, yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. Yeah, Glenn, yeah Glenn Healy is unfortunately no longer with us. Yeah. Mm. And again, the gateway box makes an appearance. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then Mark gets another write up from legal. This time is for you know the non consensual lumbar puncture, and he they have copied Anspa on this one. So great. He's like, I might I might as well get some frames and start putting these up. Um, and then Shelly's brother shows up. He says that she called him feeling sick a few days ago, but he hadn't heard from her since. And Carter just randomly tells Benton, like, hey, just so you know, we never talked about you. It never came up. We never said anything behind your back. And Benton was like, I didn't think you did. Calm down. Question. Is Answer. is the brother scene there? Because it's a very quick one. Is mm-hmm. the brother scene there written as such to absolve Mark? Yes. Because she's not, she I would is, say so. like, it's it's written in such a way that uh, we learn that she's not uh, altered mental status. Like, she does not have mental uh, illness. She's normal, and the only reason, or she's, you know, she's... Neurotypical. Yes, thank you. Struggling, trying to find the word. She's she's gotcha. totally neurotypical, and yet uh, the reason why she comes in with an altered mental status is because of the meningitis. Therefore, he was completely justified in all of his actions, even though he had no prior knowledge of that information whatsoever when she walked in the door. Yep. Yeah. It's completely to absolve him. Great. Yeah. Okay. Which, Just check it. Fuck you, Mark. Said it in the last few, couple episodes. I'll say it one, one last time. Hopefully one last time. But fuck you, Mark. Hopefully this closes that very sad, ill-advised chapter. Yeah. Uh, and then our next audio is... Uh, got. Uh, Gant is bringing, bringing the whole dressing down the cafeteria situation to the attention of one Donald Anspa. Detective Benton. I just want to let you know that Dr. Keaton and I never talked about you. We never said anything about you remotely negative, ever. Carter, it never occurred to me that you had. Dr. Benton, we are just talking about you. Dr. Gant feels that you treated him inappropriately by publicly upbraiding him, calling him lazy and stupid, I understand? No, 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 no. I said what he did was lazy and stupid, and I don't think that was inappropriate due to the fact that his inattention almost killed a child. That's not true. You neglected your duties. If you feel that way, then you come speak to me. You don't yell at me in public. All right, settle down. Carter, you were there, weren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. 
You feel Dr. Benton's reaction was inappropriate? Well, his language was strong, and I can certainly understand how Dennis feels. But given the circumstances, I'm not sure I'd call it inappropriate. Sounds like you have to develop thicker skin, Dr. Gant. And if similar issues arise in the future, I suggest you take them up with Dr. Benton directly before you come crying to me. Carter, stop being a little bitch. Carter, my dude. Just all of it. And I love that he's trying to walk away before he gets pulled into it, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, er uh, pretty much everybody, uh, save for Gant, kind of sucks here. Like, yeah, Benton was wrong. Should not have, uh, even if he did make a mistake, which he did. But even if he did, should not have dressed him down publicly uh, in the cafeteria. Uh, Carter, wrong for not sticking up for his friend when he, minutes beforehand, probably what gave Gant the push to go talk to Anspaugh in the first place, uh, Carter, like, confirmed his grievances. Like, Carter was like, yeah, he was totally in the wrong. And in Gant's mind, that's probably, like, affirmation. Like, I should take the Like, I should go further with this. I should speak up, stand up yeah. for myself. So he's expecting that he's going to get Carter's support there. And then Anspa for, dude, what do you do here? Like, literally anytime anything comes up it, remotely involving an administrative task, Anspa always passes the buck. Like, he always is like, yeah, well, not my problem. You know, <laughs> talk to somebody else, kid. Like, everyone except for Gant sucks in this scene. Maybe he thinks he's delegating. I mean, I... I'm not saying he is. I'm saying maybe he thinks that's what delegation is. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's rooted in some kind of old school, like, you know, suck it up and, you know, deal with it. Deal with it like men kind of thing. I mean, look at how Carter was talked to in season one. Like, that's what everybody told him about Benton. Yeah, but I just... I'm not saying it's the same scale, but I'm saying, like, that attitude has prevailed before. No, yeah, for sure. It's just, you know, and, and of course it all looks worse in hindsight, given what we know is coming in just a minute or two, but it's, it's not great even without that. But in any event, we go from there down to uh, Carol talking with the nurses in the waiting area, uh, presenting kind of the solution that she has come up with so that they won't have to fire any of the nurses, which the nurses are kind of already... They are, they've already smoked out what is happening before Carol even makes her little presentation. She's like, yeah, they're firing people. Which one of us is going to go? Like, mm-hmm. they they know what's up. But Carol thinks she's come up with the grand solution, and she's like, well, if everybody just takes a little less money for four hours more work since they're going to lose their overtime, uh, you know, then then everybody can stay. And to kind of Carol's surprise, she they're all just sort of like, uh, yeah, no, fuck that. <laughs> like, we're not giving up our overtime, and we'll just walk if this is what management is going to pull. So, uh, which is this? I think this is setting up the little nurse walkout. I believe. I know that it kind of it kind of sets a precedent. For yeah, it. I know that comes up. I just can't remember when exactly that comes up. When they do, it comes they, up multiple times. Well, yeah, but they, there's yeah. a very specific one where they do like a sick out where they all call out. I sick. think that's like seven. Yeah, I know. I know. Season seven. I know Halay's leading the charge on that one. So who's noticeably absent in this episode? But uh, and are we ready to say goodbye to Omar Epps with his last scene? It's his last scene where it's definitely him. That's for sure. Yeah, it's his, his last speaking scene. His last speaking scene. Yeah. All right. I'm not, but let's do this. It's only thirty seconds. I didn't think you'd really go to Anspar. 
Look, I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. I didn't know what to say. And with Benton standing right there... Hey, John, John, it's okay. You know, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <sighs> so we're cool? Yeah, we're cool. I better get back to the ER. I'll see you later. Worth noting that every time they cut over to Gant in that shot, he there's like a film hazy filter. Fi- yeah, filter over him. He's almost out of focus. Yeah. Yeah. Out of focus. Thank you. Makes him look distant. Yeah. Yeah. And we call his attitude right there scary calm. That's a bad calm. That's a bad calm. If you've been around somebody who's chronically depressed and they suddenly start talking like this, like they're at peace with everything. They need some more attention than yeah. what you're giving them. You stay There's with them. There's a plan. You make them talk to you. You distract them. You don't do what Carter does here. Yeah. yeah. You don't go, all right, cool, thanks, bye. You stay with them, get your support network to make sure someone can be with them until they ride out the worst yeah. of what's going on. You do not leave this person alone. Because I've been there. And yep. this is where I've, you know... Small trigger warning about talk a little bit about suicide, but you know, I have attempted suicide multiple times, and this was always the the scary place that I that I was at right before, you know, right before I was getting ready to attempt to carry out the act. So I this is the headspace I am intimately familiar with, and yeah, it was the scene was pretty triggering for me. Yep, and while it's not the end all be all. Having someone that can at least be there to listen to you be in pain and to talk you through it is better than sitting in it alone. We love you. Mm-hmm. We're glad you stuck around so you can do this with us for six more years. Jeez. <laughs> it's not even, that's not even going into the next podcast that we have <laughs> lined up for you uh, folks. Selling the tone. Anyway. <laughs> so then we go from there to Charlie getting her CAT scan and just as she's about to be wheeled into the machine, Doug asks her if she was raped. Uh, and she, he, she makes him promise that he won't report it to the cops or social worker before she confirms that she was. Uh, so again, any other episode on the planet, this would be the most upsetting storyline in the episode. And yet somehow it manages to take a backseat here. And uh, it's still pretty bad, even even with everything else. Yep. Not great, Chief. And uh, cut over, cut over to Chuni running out into the garage as Mark is, you know, going out to test, it, fire up the battery on his bike just to make sure it all. Sorry, finish your thought first. No, what? Is it a different bike? Because this bike looks way cooler than the one that he steals from that kid in the last you season. You know, you might be onto something there because it. Because I thought the other bike was red, and I thought the other bike was more mopedish. Like this right. is this is a this motorcycle. Is, this is a black crotch rocket. Yeah, so you might be onto something. I ha- I would have to go back and like cr- like seat do a side by side comparison of the scenes, but which which we know you love doing. <laughs> is it the same bike? It might be the same bike. I'm not. It, I mean, it might be different bikes. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Mark's firing up the battery and shooting's running out to give him his uh, cover letter. Uh, him, what? His CV. What CV? Like a resume. Oh. Curriculum Veritas. To learn there's a difference. Yeah. Your CV is like your resume. I thought I was just... I don't... You can you can tell how much I've... 
business. I've, I've fucked around with resumes and cover letters and any any shit related to that. Now I want to Google to make sure I'm not talking out my fucking asshole. While you do that, while I say that this is fine, they're going to grab you know, Mark asked her if she wants to grab breakfast together, and they do, and it's fine. <laughs> this relationship is fine. There are far more toxic relationships that we'll see on this show, and we, that we've already have that seen. That is true. Yeah, it's essentially a resume. Lauren's, yeah. Lauren's Google skills coming in, coming in clutch again. Yep. Um, then we go over to Carrie, Jeannie, and Wendy, and Carrie asks Jeannie to get in a like oxygen sensing box for the final <laughs> test, and it's got like windows on all sides, but it's a small box. And Jean's like, nope, I'm claustrophobic. This is where I draw the line. Nope. And Carrie's like, but there's windows. You won't even know you're in there. And Jean's like, nope, I'm sorry, bye. And she just, like, bails. And it's so funny. And then Carrie looks at Wendy and is like, get in the box. We, we have two hours till daylight. Get in the box. We'll make it work. Gives her the, the twilight shades. Right. She's like, your brain won't know the difference. It's fine. Get in the box. Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Uh, so then we... One more tone at will. <laughs> one of two total shifts to end end off here we have charlie going back to her uh she's now resting after her uh, cat scan doug's in the room with her uh we get the final rundown on everything she's uh dealing with concussion broken arm bruises as we mentioned before she was raped and uh carol's in there with doug and he she offers to call the social worker for him which he says no i'll do it which Goes back on what he told Charlie earlier in the episode, so we'll see how that plays out, I'm assuming, next episode or in the upcoming episodes. But, uh, yeah, just a very unfortunate situation there. And then another tonal shift here as we go cut to eggs burning on a stove in a kitchen, and we zoom out and eventually find Mark and Chuni in bed together. And uh, Nick the dog in the floor, which I thought was a nice touch. Puppy. That was a nice touch small friend um okay folks it it comes to this the audio it's our last trauma of the night and oh boy let's just let's just listen to it i don't remember calling for a surgeon oh this one surgical finally got a good one some guy got hit by the l what you got you got a mess take a look yuck which end is up jumped or fell in front of a train Open skull fracture, multiple extremity fractures, flail chest. Any signs of life? He's got a weak pulse. Now all he needs is a pace. He's 60 over 40. He ain't gonna last. All right, everybody, grab hold. On my count. One, two, three. All right, what is this? Man versus moving ill train. Suicide? One guy said he jumped. Another guy said he tripped. Just lost the pulse. Put old Nego on a rapid infuser, set up a central line. Somebody page Gant. He's supposed to be covering the ER this morning. I'll do it. Carter, how are his eyes? Uh, he's lost one. And the other one is swollen shut. Great matter in the hair. Decreased breath sounds on the right. I'll put it in chest too. I'll do it. No, I'll do it. It's a surgical procedure. 32 French. Who's Beeper? It's coming from the patient. 10 blade. Lydia, what number did you page Gant to? This room, 3376. That's the number in his pager. Oh my god. What? The patient. Scant. Dennis? Oh, sweet Jesus. Carter, put the tube in. Oh, God. All right, set up a thoracil. Let's move. Come on. Flatline. All right, give an amp with epi and atrophy. One milligram each. Hang another two units. Let's go, Carter. I'm trying. I'm trying. 
Come on, Carter. Get it in, get it in! It's in. Come on. Well, yeah. Now, there is something said when this trauma is being wheeled in that's worth mentioning. Um, the paramedics say that the patient either jumped or fell. There were two different reports. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the show's way of not seeming like it condoned the suicide of a character. Hmm. Just presenting it as a they don't know what happened, we don't know what happened kind of thing, even though it's clearly telegraphed for the past few episodes that he was depressed and this was 99% likely a suicide. Just kind of hedging their bets so that they can claim, you know, we don't really know. No one really knows. It's never clearly stated. And that factors in the next episode as well Mm -hmm. with the fallout of this. Yep. Very, uh, this is, this is one of the scenes, one of the moments that like, you know, when, once you get really deep into the show, seasons 12, 13, 14, when you start getting down, you know, you're coming on the, down the other side of the hill, uh, on the show and you think back about the early years of the show, this to me is one of the scenes that sticks out in my mind. Like this is one of the, like particularly, I don't know if it's something about the way the show looks at this point or like it, 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 we're just very early in the show's kind of growth arc. And there's something about this, every aspect of this scene that just kind of sticks in my memory and particularly Carter's reaction once they realize the patient is Gant. The oh dear yeah. God. Yeah. Something about the way he says that is haunting. Like it sticks with you. And it, it, it's a line read unlike any other I feel like you hear Carter make over the course of the series. Like, I don't feel like he ever utters a, a, a line in that same way as he does here. I, I think the only comparison for right now that we have is when he's talking to the trans woman on the roof and his just guttural scream when she You're jumps. absolutely right, yes. That's very, that's the, that's the closest I think... Uh, he ever comes and it's um, it's powerful I mean it's, this is obviously a very upsetting storyline it's a very upsetting ending for Gant it's you know one that we've like Lauren said it's been kind of telegraphed over the course of his time on the show um, but it doesn't make it any it doesn't detract from it in any way like this is this is intense like this was a hard one for us to watch we knew it was coming and we kind of put it off as long as possible yeah. And I think as Lizzie pointed out to me, uh, as you all were watching it, the visuals in the scene are mm. quite upsetting as well. Like, Yeah, that's, I was like, this is easily the most grotesque prosthetic work that they've done. Because obviously this is not a person on, no. on the gurney. This is because the person doesn't move. So right. it's assuming a it's just a mannequin. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's but very... that face. Yeah, and there's lots of close-up shots. Like, it's... It's it's uh, it's graphic. I, w- I would say it's probably yeah. one of, if not the most graphic visuals you get on the show. Uh, bar yeah. bar maybe none. Like I, I don't know that I can think of another. Like because yeah, they would do more like quote unquote graphic stuff later on down the road. But like you know, Romano getting his arm chopped off, 
that's kind of cartoony. Like it's not, it's, it's kind of Bugs Bunny violence sort of way. It's, it's not this, this is, it's not grotesque. This was real. Like this looked too real and it was very, very upsetting to watch. And especially look like ground beef. And especially with the comments that they're putting in beforehand about like, which way is up uh, an eyeball is missing. Like just the descriptions that are added to it just really drives it home. It drives it home, and it really fleshes out as the awful term, but it really sketches out the tragedy yeah. of going this way and of what happens to Gant, because we've seen him come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and all hope and all motivation and all joy has been driven out of him by this institution. Mm. Yeah, this is going to have some pretty heavy repercussions. As it should. I mean, it's... I, yeah, I hate to say it, but yeah. good. If, yeah. they're, if they're going to do something like this, I'm glad that they at least follow through on it and they really dig into the, you know, like you said, the fallout. Like, I, I would I would hate to see something like this be used as just purely for shock value and then never yeah. addressed again. But, yeah, it's... Because um, it, if, I, if, if I remember correctly, this is, like, sort of, like, one of the things that drives carter away from surgery is it not that sounds familiar starts you know as i was watching this and as i was kind of getting my thoughts together for this like i i was thinking like i kind of wanted it to have a little bit more significance for carter's overall arc like i wanted this to be the kind of thing that would kind of not haunt him but like stick in the back of his mind a little bit and it doesn't really it may be the kind of one of the things that drives him away from surgery that sounds right and we'll see if that bears out but you know, once they get past the the fallout of this, like it really never does come up again, and it's not it's not yeah. really a thing that that plays into Carter or Benton's overall uh, storylines much again. So I don't know. It's I would argue that from this point on, we start to get way more of the empathetic Carter. Yeah, like. Like we've so, seen peaks of it before, but this is where it finally yeah. like, might be where he finally. So I would lesson. argue that I would argue that this event, and I'm sure the and there, we're going to dive more into this next week as you know, obviously the ramifications and you know the fall, the emotional and whatever else fallout from this event happens next week. But you know, I could see this even if it's not explicitly stated being as the moment like Carter to serve so as some reflection for Carter. And realize his shortcomings, you know, as a person, because right. he failed Gant. He failed him in the moment that he needed him most, and it ultimately led to a suicide. And I could see this, yeah, being that, being that light bulb moment for Carter, and be like, no, I need to concern myself more with people. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean. So obviously this is uh, this is it for for Omar Epps, uh, uh, you know, on the show. So I guess final thoughts on him on on Dennis Gant, the character. Like, how do we feel about that? You know, because at least at least in season two, we got seventy five percent of the season uh, with Harper. We're 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 getting rid of Gant here very quickly, uh, comparatively. You know, we're less. Than, we're about halfway. Not even halfway. I mean, we're we're well. It depends on if this is a 22 or a 23 episode season, but um, regardless, like we're about at the halfway mark of the season and and our main like one season side character is already gone. So both of them are uh, 
Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, and, uh, the... and Gant are both gone now. Just cleaning out the surgical yeah. floor. <laughs> so, you know, I guess final thoughts on, on Omar Epps and, and Dennis Gant, the character. I think he played it really well. I think he definitely, um, Omar Epps learns from this experience and definitely takes a lot of what he learned onto House mm-hmm. when he goes on to play there. Yeah. Just, yeah. you can see a lot of who Gant would have ended up being. Informant. If he had stayed under Benton. Yeah, I see a lot of similarities between the two characters. Like, I'm only, like, early... I'm only, like, about halfway through season one of House and my first ever watch through. But I see a lot of similarities between Gant and uh, Dr. Foreman on House. You can see the optimistic med student buried underneath the cynical neurologist. Yeah. Having to work twice as hard because you're... Because he's a minority. Yeah. And... Obviously, Dr. House does not shy away from that, and neither did Benton in, in this their show. own ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think he did a great job. I think his character is a tragedy, and I hate that it was a minority character that they had to do that to. Like, come on, we have plenty of white characters. Let's... <laughs> but when little, we can well, that, but then, No, you're, you're not <laughs> entirely wrong, though. It's a little bit of a disturbing pattern in the show. Like... Yeah, it's it's Gant, kind of like the kill your gaze Gant, trope. Gallant, Pratt, like there's kind of a little. Oh I mean, yeah. Benton's kind of the only, you know, at least strictly black character who makes it out completely unscathed. Yeah, the only one I would really disagree with following that trope and what you just said is um, is a uh, Pratt. Just because Pratt was such a developed and basically yeah. became the emotional linchpin of the show for. He for a while there at the end. Oh yeah, no, I mean he's his is probably the most earned out of that group, but I still and this you know this is spoilers for like forty five years from now, but like you know we're it's still not one that I'm okay with. Like I'm I'm still not happy about it, mm. you know. But uh, but it just again it, it's kind of a pattern. I, I I feel like there's there's definitely a little bit of a pattern there where these characters seem to be more dispensable than others. At least that's the way it comes off. So yeah, final thoughts on this one. Oof. Never want to watch it again, but it's a great episode. Yep, it needed to be done, but I'm glad we can move past it now. I think I think it is a clear improvement over the previous two. Uh, you know, I think Mark is still kind of a shithead in this episode, but is uh, the volume is turned down somewhat from episode nine. Uh, it is not the complete and total mess that uh, last week's episode was. Uh, there's definitely some really strong, really powerful, really memorable moments in this episode. There's still a little bit of that weird zigzaggy tonal shift thing going on here that we've observed mm. in a lot of episodes, uh, particularly when it seems to be around this point in the season. Have you noticed that? Where it's it's kind of yep. around the 10, 11, 12 mark is where they start doing this weird zigzaggy horse shit where they're just like, we're going to whip some real funny wackety schmackety stuff on you and then also at the same time hit you with the real um, so I don't really know, know what that's about, but, um, yeah, it, clear improvement over the last two. I still think we're kind of in a little bit of a lull after the, the hot streak that we were on the first eight episodes of the season, but hopefully trending back upwards. I, I know we I, are for I sure we're by, back. by 15. I know we're back to like all burning on all cylinders. Yeah. I think we're on that mid season upswing right yeah. now. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to the show notes each week. 
only five dollars a month you can get access to the full season recap episodes a free, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk jerry and two week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews also once our stretch goals are met you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called the lounge where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an er cast member we would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts we are at set the tone er on twitter we are on facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast and we are at setting the tone podcast on instagram our theme music is provided to us by andrew edwards of blue police box music and daniel where can folks find you at they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me lurking our official Facebook community, which is really exciting, and I'm actually really loving what everybody has been sharing on there. Um, I also want to note that along with the Team Jerry stickers, we also have a handful of Setting the Tone logo stickers available. Oh, yeah, so that's true. if that scratches your itch a little more than our favorite desk clerk, let us know. We'd be happy to work something out with you because we've got some extras. And then, um, yeah, I'm going to actually schmaltz a little bit and ask that if you're enjoying us to rate and review us on itunes so we can get a little bit more exposure and spread the love i mean clearly someone's talking about us yeah somebody talked (laughs) who 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 broke number one rule about fight club was it you matt was it you carly (laughs) we're on to all of you yeah Whoever it is, thanks. <laughs> um, but you can find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J A M three R, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel, doing a let's play of Titanfall two with new episodes of that out every Friday. And you can find those videos and more at youtube.com/slash/thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. <laughs>